You're listening to an encore presentation of Sunny in Seattle. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny welcomes author Pam Grout to the show today. And the two of them will be discussing her book, A Course in Miracles Experiment. So tune in as we dive deep into the Course in Miracles work. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle and 103.3 KPCA in Petaluma, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with joy, peace, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. Those are found at 1150kknw.com. And if you're like me, and you like podcasts, you can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast One. And my website, if you'd like to find out more about me, is goldenoversoul.com. That is goldenoversoul.com. Um, so, Benny, how are, how are you doing up there in Seattle with all that's going on? I'm doing all right. I've got my 24-pack of toilet paper. I'm good to go. <laughs> Why is toilet <laughs> just, paper I don't know. <laughs> Seems like there's a big rush on, you know, uh, on it up here, but I don't know. I'm just yeah. kind of going with the flow. No, no big and deal. Are the boys are in still in school? Or? Actually, you know what? Uh, our governor Jay Inslee just made the announcement yesterday that starting on Monday they will be out till uh, April 27th officially. That's all King County and uh, Pierce County and Snohomish County um, mm. schools. Mm. So pretty much everyone's gonna be shutting it down after uh, starting Monday. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting times. Yep. Don't forget to wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Exactly. There we go. And I was just saying before we went on air, I just really feel like uh, our guest today is so serendipitously timed. Um, and yeah, <laughs> exactly. We could use a little bit of her right now. Exactly. So let's let's get her on here. Right. So for those who have been listening to study in Seattle for a while, um, Pam Grout has been on the show a couple times before. I think this will be her third appearance. Um, one of my favorite humans, favorite authors. Um, she was gracious enough to write a uh, advanced praise for my book, which I have proudly displayed on the cover of the book. Um, just just an amazingly awesome person. So if you do not know Pam Grout, um, she is the number one New York Times bestselling author of 20 books, including the brand new A Course in Miracles Experiment, a starter kit for rewiring your mind and therefore the world. She's a freelance writer who has published with Scientific American Explorations, uh, Outside, Men's Journal, People Magazine, Travel and Leisure, and many other publications. She's the creator of the TV series Going Rogue and the wacky proliferator behind two popular blogs. Her current focus is the 222 Foundation. She started to honor her magical daughter, Tasman, who has been guiding her from the non-physical since October 15th, 2018. You can find out more about her by visiting her website, which is pamgrout.com, and that's G-R-O-U-T, pamgrout.com. And, of course, you can find her on all the socials. Just her handle is always at Pam Grout. Pam, welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. Well, it's great to be back here. <laughs> well, we're so excited to have you. And man, I think everybody could use a miracle these days. <laughs> That's right. We all can, and we all can have them still. So, in fact, I just was just telling you, I was just finished a blog post, and one of the Course in Miracles tenets is I could see peace instead of this. And I thought, you know what? 
that would be a really good reminder for people today. So it happens to be lesson 34 in the course, but I thought, you know, it's a good time for a review. So I just, uh, it's good to, good to remember that, you know, our, what happens, what happens, not so much what happens, but how we see it comes from within us. So anyway, it's good, it's good to be reminded of that. Exactly. Um, and so I just, I wanted to, before we even dive in about this latest book, The Course in Miracles Experiment, um, I wanted to back up a little bit since you have been on the show before, and I know you've got, you know, your number one New York Times bestseller, uh, E Squared. You've had, uh, like you said, 20 books um, that you've got out there. And I'm just curious for people out there who have been on their own journey of, um, following a passion for you, it seems like writing has been your thing for many, many years for someone out there who's on that journey and doesn't quite yet have the New York times bestseller or the equivalent in whatever field they're in. What was your journey like, uh, as an author and a writer? How did you know to keep going and, and keep pursuing this craft? Well, I was just, um, I don't know, naive enough to think I could make it as a writer. So I think, you know, my naivety has actually worked in my favor. It was the only thing I ever really wanted to do. In fact, it's all I've ever really done. I mean, I've done writing in many different forms, you know, from, like I said, I've written that television series. I have, um, you know, written books. I've written travel articles. So I've even written, you know, brochures for various companies. So I've used my writing skills in a lot of different ways, but it's what I always like to do. And I think it all began, or this is how, where I track it back to when I was in second grade. And I read like, I don't know, I won some little award. They made up this special award because I'd read like 257 picture books <laughs> or something like that. But at that time, and I think a lot of people that like to read a lot start thinking, I bet I could do this. So even back in second grade, I started writing and illustrating these little books like Patty the Penguin. I think I still have that book, you know, and it's <laughs> me and my little second grade script writing this little story about Patty and how she slides down the ice and, you know, does other little penguin things. But anyway, um, that's kind of what how it all started. And so when I, it came time to go to college, and also I guess I had some encouragement from some English teachers back in high school. You know, teachers are so important, as we know, and, you know, they seemed to like my writing. My mom was actually an English teacher as well, but, um, you know, I had certain English teachers that really liked my writing, so, you know, that kept me going. And then, yeah. but it came time to, you know, pick a career, so I picked journalism because that's writing, and so, you know, I did work for a newspaper, and you know, wrote features for a newspaper. So anyway, it was just like one step after another. I just sort of followed, um, you know, what I like to do. I wrote that book, Art and Soul Reloaded, and it's just like, you know, you just have to, you know, trust that somehow if you're being, you feel that urge to write or paint or draw or whatever it is, that you will be provided for. You know, you, you show up, that's your job. <laughs> and then, you know, the universe of muses is what I often call it when we talk in terms of, of creativity, you know, will show up and do their job. So anyway, that's just always been what I've done. Yes, and, and isn't that one of the the lessons from A Course in Miracles that you will be guided to what it is that you are here to do? Oh, exactly, that we can depend on guidance 24-7, and that's so reassuring, especially in these times of chaos and craziness, to know that we really will be divided. I mean, we will be guided. We have to, you know, kind of close down the, you know, that little... Um, ticker tape at the bottom of our minds that are telling us, oh, no, life's horrible. What's happened? We're all doomed. You know, we have to close that down. And then, you know, the guidance will come in. The guidance, um, you know, will be very clear. And that's kind of a shock to people. It'll be clear. But it actually, the more you follow it and the more you 
believe it and trust it, the clearer it becomes. Yeah. And, and I have to say, you know, if someone's hearing that and they might think, oh, well, that's all well and good for Pam. She's never experienced, you know, any hardship. And I think I, I wanted to, I asked you before we went on air, if I could ask you a couple questions about this. And as I mentioned in your bio, um, that your, your daughter Tasman has been guiding you from the non-physical since October, 2018. And the book, the course in miracles experiment that we're talking about today is dedicated to her. And I, I loved what you wrote. It says for Taz, I could never live without you, so I don't. And I would love to hear from your experience. You shared some beautiful stories in this latest book about how your relationship with her has transcended her transition to non-physical. And do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Because it was really beautiful. Yeah. Well, I, in fact, somebody said that should be lesson number one. <laughs> because <laughs> the fact that we don't have to be um, just stuck with what we see in the material world, that there is a much bigger world. That is kind of the lesson, of course, of miracles. But, yeah, no, and I, I won't say that I haven't been just totally devastated. I mean, the entire, you know, my entire belief in the universe, you know, the bottom dropped out of it when she passed. I mean, it was just, you know, and it's something you don't really get over. You just learn how to carry it. But the thing that does bring me peace, that does bring me comfort, is knowing that she is still here, in, you know, in whatever form. And just like I had to... You know, she was no longer the baby. It was obvious from those pictures I have of her baby. She was no longer the fourth grader. She was no longer the junior. You know, as she evolved, and I had to learn to a different kind of relationship with her up until, you know, she was an adult, and then that relationship changed. And now the relationship I'm having with her is, you know, in spiritual form um, and trying to keep her alive in whatever way I can. I've started a foundation in her honor. I've... um you know, in this book, even, I've got some of her artwork, a little poster that she had made for me in a calendar, which I think at the time she made it, she had no idea that it was going to be seen by, you know, all these people around the world. But um, indeed, that's, you know, my mission is to keep her alive and her memory alive in my life and in, you know, in whatever way I feel guided to do. And now that I'm going on and on and on, I don't remember exactly what your question <laughs> even was. Anyway... I will I will say I actually um one of my uh um a dear friend um someone who's attended some of my events is a member of one of my little communities um she adores your work and she loves the you know AA 2.0 the wake up every morning and something amazingly awesome will happen today and when I came across that picture in the back of the book that you just mentioned that Taz created, I screenshotted it and sent it to this person and said, hey, I don't know if you have this, but wanted to share it with you. And I thought it was just, it was, it was so cute. I loved, um, I'm going to put that somewhere in my office. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I love it too. Yeah, Taz gave me, made me a whole calendar actually, you know, so it was like joyful January. and that, But that particular piece of art was at the very back of the calendar that she made me, you know, at the beginning of 2018. It was my Christmas present. Um, yeah. Christmas of 2017. So I thought, oh, that's a beautiful um, thing to put in the book. So anyway. That's yeah. how it begins. <laughs> yeah, and I also I I um I have shared with the listening audience before um that when my ex husband passed away and we were very very close um, we had a much healthier more loving relationship after the divorce um, so when he uh, transitioned and it was it was quite sudden um, it was there was a lot of grief involved but um, our address in Austin was five 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 East Fifth Street. And I didn't even make that connection until someone pointed it out to me earlier this year. But I started seeing 555 
And that was where I believe he communicates with me. And there have been some instances, I, I won't go into great detail here because I don't want to take away from your time and telling all the wonderful stories and sharing the lessons from A Course in Miracle. But suffice it to say, some really serendipitous things have happened around 555. And so I was really um, uh, touched when I saw that your number with Taz is 222. And you even received, didn't you say there was a text message from her phone Months yes, after. that was really bizarre. I have no real explanation for how that happened. I mean, but again, you know, that's the problem in the physical world, in the material world, in the human world. <laughs> we don't have explanations for a lot of these things. What we don't want to do is discount them or to not expect them or to, you know, believe in them just because we don't have an explanation for them. In fact, the really cool things in life are the things we don't have explanations for. But yeah, so her phone actually sent me that because that's how we would always. Um, oh, no, what she sent me was a hedgehog, which is a little thing we always did at the beginning of the month. Oh, she yes. continued to send me a hedgehog, but that did come straight from her phone. But 222, we would always, you know, send each other pictures and whatnot of 222. And now I have readers from all over the world sending me pictures of 222. So she's very wow. much um, alive in a lot of the minds of a lot of people, too. So yes kind of, kind of a cool thing but yeah no i love that you guys had 555 and <laughs> and it's amazing how if ever i need a little pick me up or i'm feeling a little pouty or whatever you know she'll send me a, a nice little sign to go come on mom yes yeah i that's that has been my experience as well um i never used to um believe i used to well i heard esther hicks talking about when jerry uh died um years ago and um she said that their relationship while it changed, of course, because he was no longer physical in the physical, it had deepened. And I thought, oh, that's a bunch of hooey. That can't be right. And now I have found that to be true. It is different. I miss being able to, you know, give a hug or touch a face. But the the relationship in some levels has deepened. And so I, yeah, anyway, I just appreciate you sharing what you have about Taz um, as we begin the show today. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's been, you know, real important to me. So, yeah. Yes. And of course, that foundation is the 222 Foundation that mm-hmm. um, people want to find out more. Um, so you mentioned, you know, this that, that part of this relationship you have with her is based on that we can understand everything because we are in the physical and everything else is in the non-physical. And I, one of the main things I took away um, from this latest book, um, The Course in Miracles Experiment, which is the fun version of A Course in Miracles. If you all, like me, have had the big blue book um, what a, <laughs> kind of as a, a doorstop <laughs> without having dived into it, um, this Pam has made this so approachable. And one of the things that you said is that you know, A Course in Miracles has lots of pages, lots of words, but it boils down to this. Once we relinquish our old thought system, love becomes our MO and miracles and blessings are all we see. Um, and I'm just, I'm curious with that kind of setting the tone for the, you know, the umbrella over which, or the, the A Course in Miracle, what it's really about. Um, I'm, I'm curious for you, how did A Course in Miracles impact your life how did you come to it? How did we end up here with you writing this beautiful um, daily lesson book that people can use? Well, I've been practicing The Course in Miracles along with a million other things <laughs> for a <laughs> long time. And for whatever reason, I just always came back to The Course in Miracles. I had done a, 
a workshop at um, Big Sur at Esalen way back when. It was a month-long workshop with Course in Miracles with uh, Julian Silverman. But even before that, I had been introduced to uh, Gerald Jampolsky's book, Love is Letting Go of Fear. So um, I got the Course in Miracles way back, you know, when I was young, in my 20s. And so I've always had it. I've always gone through it, uh, some years more intently than others. But I think the time when I really began to follow it in earnest was when I was seven months pregnant with Taz, driving across the country, not even sure where I was going to end up. And, you know, I realized, you know, something, and this is where I think a lot of people come to A Course in Miracles, they say, you know, there's got to be a better way. You know, there has got <laughs> to be a better way than what, you know, what we're seeing, what I'm, what's happening in my life. And what the Course in Miracles promises is that better way, and it is by relinquishing the thought system that's dominated our thoughts and um, practicing forgiveness. But it's forgiveness in a different way. It's a forgiveness in in that what we think we see out there and what we think is happening to us is all coming from within. And the way to really change all that is to change the inner. And so forgiveness isn't so much about letting old so-and-so off the hook. It's about literally changing um, your view of what's possible, and and again, going to that unexplainable that we were talking about earlier, that un, that thing we don't understand. So it's uh, you know focusing so much bigger than what our brain tells us or what our thoughts are telling us. So um, so anyway, as I started practicing that, you know, I was just convinced, you know, poor me driving across the country, I'm pregnant, I don't know where I'm going, you know, that mean old guy, you know, shouldn't have whatever, you know, I had my little story going on. And uh-huh. so as I began practicing the course more diligently, I mean, really taking it to heart, doing what it said. I mean, it's like kind of surrendering to what it said. It's like, this makes no sense. This doesn't sound fun, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, I'm going to look I'm going to look at my thoughts and go, you don't mean anything. <laughs> you know, you actually get to the point where, you know, these thoughts are like, you don't mean anything. You know, there is a bigger story going on. These thoughts that tell me, you know, I'm, I'm broke and I'm driving across the country. It doesn't really mean anything. There's a bigger thing going on. So I started really taking it seriously and really, um, you know, practicing. It's like clearly I needed to have, you know, my life together if I was going to raise this child and I was going to, um, you know, uh, follow my dream of being a writer. I mean, I'd always been a writer, but, um, you know, that's, you know, having Taz and settling down and doing the course is what really got me doing it seriously, consistently, you know, with the kind of discipline that it takes to actually to be there. And I kind of hate to use the word discipline because that sounds like, oh, no, that's like that's a grim thing you have to do. But it's mm-hmm. so much fun when you actually, you know, discipline yourself to do the things you need to do and things start becoming so fun. It's, it's not a chore in any way. Right. Yeah. And and I'm I, I think maybe for I didn't find out until fairly recently the the history behind A Course in Miracles. Um, do you mind sharing a little bit about those two, well, the professor and the research assistant at Columbia or whoever, Bill and Helen, and how the, the whole thing came about? Yeah, it's so really cool. Um, but it was about, I think, I'll see what year, in the 70s, I believe it was. But um, they were both professors at Columbia University. They were in the medical psychology department. They had prestigious positions. And, of course, they had a whole department of people that worked together, you know, to teach these medical students at, at, at Columbia University. But they were fighting. There was aggressive politics. It just wasn't a good situation. And one day, the head of the department, Bill Stetford, threw his hands in the air, and he said, there has 
got to be a better way. <laughs> and almost immediately, Helen Shuckman, his research assistant, started hearing these voices, and it said, this is the better way. And, of course, they were a little bit freaked out that these disembodied voices were coming <laughs> through Helen. But nonetheless, something about it um, impelled them to go ahead, and she would tell him what, what she was hearing, and then he would type it out. And they spent seven years transcribing what became the Course in Miracles, and it was literally her hearing these voices and him typing it up. I mean, these are two um, professors at respected university, and they didn't tell anybody. I mean, they kind of kept this little project secret. But eventually, when they finished, after seven years of doing this, and what kept them going, who knows? I mean, but they did keep going. You know, obviously, it was something meant to be. On a, you know, there's a whole bigger plan going on here. But they stuck with it. They um, Xeroxed 200 copies of, you know, the, the end result after seven years of this doing this and they passed them out and you know a lot of people were like loving it like wow this is powerful stuff so eventually it was published into a book you know an actual book that was published by the foundation for inner peace i think that's who still publishes it today although there is a new version um that's actually bigger and it even has some of those early notes that helen and bill had in fact i just got a copy of that i didn't know about it until december and it actually has like even some of the handwritten notes that helen and bill (sighs) you know, had between each other, because what happened is when it actually went out for publication, people said, well, let's get rid of all the stuff that pertains particularly to our situation, you know, because this voice was literally telling them how to, you know, heal this, you know, unfortunate situation that they had going on in this department. So um, as they started following, you know, what this voice was telling them, things, you know, started getting better. But they took all of that part out of, of the, the Foundation of Inner Peace. But in this new version, they've got a lot of that stuff back in there, which is kind of interesting. And it's mm-hmm. interesting, too, that what happened to them is almost universal and, you know, applies to everybody, which is, of course, what the course is. It does apply to everyone. But anyway, that's kind of the story of how it got started. And Gerald Jampolsky wrote a book called Love is Letting Go of Fear, and it became a bestseller, and he talked about it on Johnny Carson. And then people started getting them. Of course, Marianne Williamson wrote A Return to Love. There have been a lot of books that have been written about A Course right. in Miracles. Um, again, because of the actual text itself is kind of difficult to, to understand, so I think a lot of people have tried to you know, make sense of it in a whole different way, which I guess what I was done. But I feel like I, you know, was called to do this. You know, I started blogging about this. I wasn't thinking I'm going to turn it into a book. And I started January 1st, like I always do, and I was blogging about it. I started getting all these messages, turn this into a book, this needs to be a book. And people were sending me emails. And, you know, finally I thought, okay, I guess I better turn this into a book. So sent off a proposal to my publisher, and that's kind of the history of my book and the history of their book all all in one. (laughs) Yeah. And I, it's, as I mentioned, I've had, you know, the beautiful hardback blue bound book. And actually my partner came in as I was uh, preparing this week and I had it out. And I, I have to tell you, Pam, and this is a testament to what your book can do for someone like me who has felt drawn to A Course in Miracles, but I've picked it up now and then it looks really pretty on my bookcase. But I haven't really known where to begin. I didn't even realize that, you know, there's the text and then there are the daily lessons that accompany the text. I didn't know how to approach it. And I found that as I was reading your book, I pulled the original Course in Miracles text out and I used them together. And it was it was just it made it so 
uh, fun and approachable. And I, because I love your writing and your sense of humor and all of the wit that you bring and the language that you use, you know, calling, you know, the voice in your head, the chatty ass hat and all the names you have for what some people call God, it just, it made it, it made it a fun little adventure. Um, and so for anyone else out there who has been like me, this is a really great way to dive into A Course in Miracles if you've been putting it off or it's felt too heavy or you haven't just been really been able to make sense of it. Um, and I'm curious, you know, what, for each of these, since that's 365 lessons here that you have included that accompany the text and accompany the lessons in A Course in Miracles, if you want to kind of use them together. Um, but how was your writing process? Like, did you, was this literally a 365 day blog or did, did you have to kind of sit down and allow some explanations to come to you for some of these lessons that can be kind of obscure or use antiquated language, that kind of thing? Well, one of my practices, Holy Spirit, help me see this differently, or Holy Spirit, mm. help me with this. So I knew that if I was going to do this, I'd, of course, have to ask the Holy Spirit to help me. But um, w once, you know, I got the book contract, my publisher asked me to quit blogging about this. And <laughs> to tell you the truth, I wasn't blogging every day. I mean, in the beginning, I was blogging, like, almost every day, you know, maybe five out of seven. But, of course, this had to be, you know, every single lesson. So, obviously, there were a lot to fill in that I hadn't done. And, of course, a blog's a little bit different than a book. I mean, sometimes you'll just shoot out a blog very quickly. I, I, I think people will often point out some of my editing errors and things. I mean, misspellings or whatever, you know, that I didn't, you know, or autocorrect. So, but anyway, so you have to take it a little bit more seriously when it's going to be an actual book. So, I took, you know, the ones... The, the blog post that I'd already written that people loved, and then I kind of, it, you know, went from there. But yes, indeed, I did always ask for help. I called the Muse, the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it, and to help, you know, I wanted to deliver the message that people needed to hear. I wanted to serve, you know, my part in um, spreading the word that the Course in Miracles has, you know, this message of love and connection, and the truth about the world, that it's not a world of scarcity, it's not a world of fear, and that it is love and that we are entitled to that love. So whatever my part in this little project of the rewriting of the world is, was to do this little book and make it fun. <laughs> it was originally called Course in Miracles for Badasses, but <laughs> Hay House decided not to go with that title. And we went round and round with the title. I wanted to do Course in Miracles, the fun version. And Anyway, it ended up being Course in Miracles Experiment, I think, because my other books that was the title they liked. Um, you know, my other books had experiments in them. So anyway, that's kind of how it came about. But yeah. um, anyway, it was, it, you know, the whole idea is to try to make it fun. And I love what you just said. Thank you for telling me that, that this is helping you make sense of those actual lessons. Because it's like anything, you can read those, you know, the, the text. It'll tell you all about the course. But you have to practice it and do the daily practice to actually make the mind shift that, you know, that we're going for here to find the peace of mind that we're going for. Yes, exactly. And I will just, I know we're right at about time for break, but just one more quick question before we really dive into some of the lessons and, and um, how to use your book. Um, the I just want to play devil's advocate here, or or at least for people out there like me who came from a... Um, I was, I, it took me a while to leave, uh, the conservative Christianity of my youth and come back to God. And so you mentioned the Holy spirit a moment ago, and there's a lot of language in the original text about, 
um, the second coming, crucifixion, son of God, father. There are a lot of references that to me rang of Christianity, although I know from what I've read, not only from you, but also other places, the course does not ascribe to any religion or dogma. For someone like me who had a hard time, like these words carry a lot of baggage, how do you reconcile those or how do you make sense of them if this is not a Christian text? Well, I think the nation that these people lived in would be considered, I mean, that's the kind of way that I think the Spirit spoke to to them through that Mm -hmm. language. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's all about non-judgment, and in fact, it even says in there, this isn't the only way to do this. This is one way. If this one speaks to you, then, you know, join on in. But um, I think one of the things that I've done throughout my work is to get rid of some of that baggage and some of that languaging that does tend to turn people off. Yeah. So um, that was part of the, one of the things I had to do. But so, so yeah, no, I don't think of it. it, it it's, I think it's very much not a, um, a religious text in any way. It, it's more like a psychological te- text to help us, you know, in our more emotions and psychology than it is. Well, in our spirit, too, but more like spirituality than actual Christianity, even though it's allegedly channeled by Jesus. But, you know, I don't know that he'd be that big on Christianity either, really. Right. <laughs> Given and that, choice. I'm, yes, I'm so glad you said that. That Actually, I one, that's one of my questions, and I got distracted and didn't ask it, was did the, did the voice that started coming through Helen ever identify itself? And you're saying that some people, or how did it get connected to Jesus? Well, I think it's widely believed that it is Jesus's voice. Oh. Um, yeah, no, I think that's widely believed. But, you okay. know, Helen herself was Jewish, so it wasn't, um, you know, the kind of Christianity that some people associate with, with Christianity. It was more—I I mean, I sort of take it as it was Christ saying, this is, this is what I was trying to say, <laughs> you know, this is what I meant. Yes. Um, so that's kind of more more how I I interpret it. But yeah, that is that is. I mean, I don't know that it's real clearly pointed out, but I think most people do believe that. People that are real um, big followers of the course definitely do believe it's Jesus talking to us. Well, that does make sense because I I, I when I was flipping through the text and then flipping through the lessons, um, you know, as I'm going through your book and I'm kind of using them together, um, and I was reading some of the explanations of second coming of the last judgment of sin. And at first I was like, oh dear, I do not want to read this. And as I got into it, I was like, oh, there is no judgment. There is, there is not going to be this. This is all just everyone adopting Christ consciousness. This is not at all what I was taught. And it was a much more, I will just say, even though I used those words and I'm bringing that up, this was a much softer landing than anything I had ever heard explained before. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, when you really delve into it, it is very much, it's a very loving kind of thing, and I think we've misinterpreted it for a long time, so it's about time we had a little rewrite here. It's time for an update. Exactly, yes. And as you say, I'll just say quickly before we go to break, you also have the whole um, uh, RO or RSO, rip that sucker out. <laughs> so if it doesn't work for you, then you right. can rip well, it Bill out. Right, well, Bill himself said that. You know, if something doesn't, I mean, we never want to offend anybody or turn anybody off. So, hey, if this doesn't work for you, just, you know, he didn't use the words rip that sucker out, but he said just disregard <laughs> that, you know. So yeah. that was me with the RSO. But, yeah, that. but he did say that. He did suggest that. Yes. Well, and I love it. (laughs) 
definitely makes it approachable. Um, so let's go ahead and take our break. Um, you have been listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, joined today by author Pam Grout. She has a brand new book out, The Course in Miracles Experiment. And when we come back from the break, we will dive into that book. We'll be back in just a few. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazarus, and this is Climate Connections. Concrete and asphalt absorb the sun's energy. So when a heat wave strikes, city neighborhoods with few trees and lots of black pavement can get hotter than other areas. A lot hotter. 15, 18 degrees Fahrenheit difference across a city at the same time. Vivek Shandis of Portland State University leads a heat mapping project funded by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Over the last few summers, the project partnered with local groups in Washington, D.C., Portland, Oregon, Boston, and other cities. Volunteers use cars equipped with sensors that gather temperature and humidity data. Shandis and his team use that data to create digital maps showing how temperatures vary block by block. The hottest areas are often low-income, underserved neighborhoods. Shanda says getting residents involved in collecting data can help inspire local solutions. For example, people may initiate tree planting projects targeted at the neighborhoods that need them most. The partnerships have been really instrumental in being able to get the communities together, to convene them, to go out and do this campaign, and then to come back and start interpreting what it is that they're seeing and ultimately what it is they can do about it. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. There are many sounds in your day-to-day life. There are sounds that wake you up. Sounds that make you smile. Sounds that energize you. and sounds that help you relax. But there are some sounds that can alert you to danger and can help save lives. Wireless emergency alerts, now on many mobile devices, use a unique sound and vibration to bring you information about severe weather events, amber alerts, or other emergencies in your area. With critical information from local sources you know and trust, you can be in the know, wherever you are. For more information, visit ready.gov alerts. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. And welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, joined today by author Pam Grout. And we have been discussing her latest book, The Course in Miracles Experiment, which is basically the fun version of A Course in Miracles that makes it um, easy, approachable, carries the essential message and meaning, but uh, is in Pam Grout's, you know, inimitable way, just witty and fun and engaging. Um, so Pam, we were talking during the break about, you know, where's the good place to come back? And I was thinking, uh, if some people maybe haven't used A Course in Miracle on a day-to-day basis like you have, they don't have, well, now they will have your lesson book, but if they haven't been using it, how does A Course in Miracles or your lesson book apply, say, to what we're currently facing? How does it apply to day-to-day life, for example, uh, the coronavirus and what the culture is going through right now? Yeah, well, I just did a blog post today, and I talked about Lesson 34, which is I could see peace instead of this. 
So I thought that was a good good one to be reminded of because I think we're seeing a lot of things that don't look like peace, <clears throat> excuse me, and that don't provoke peace. So I kind of did this sort of little thing about, you know, ways that we can immunize ourselves um, from fear because that that might be one of the most important things. And not to minimize, you know, the hand washing. In fact, I even at the end of the blog have a little um, video that Karen Drucker, the musician, did, and it's um, she and I were talking yesterday, and she was telling me about this. And you know, the whole thing about washing your hands with the, um, with, you know, the Happy Birthday or whatever. So she's yes. redone it with, with one of her songs. I don't know if you're familiar with Karen Drucker, but it's um, I see the face of God. It's, so anyway, she does this whole thing while you're washing, and as, as you sing through that, you're doing that. But anyway, in there, I talk about um, you know, distancing yourself from fear which is, you know, something that's, that's, you know, good for all of us. So how do we stop the stop or slow down the highly contagious disease of fear <laughs> by reducing contact with our biggest enemy, our internal thoughts of, oh, my God, we're doomed. So we can use this time to go within, to imagine a better world, to send love and peace to each of our brothers and sisters throughout the world. We can use this time to create, to envision a world and a government that instead of focusing on economic stimulus, focuses on the love and humanity and equality for all. And I said, stock up on some perspective, because, you know, the media loves to talk about the deadly new virus, but I'd like to point out that even at its most virulently projected mortality rate, we still don't have precise figures, 97.5% of those who get it will make a full recovery, just like we do for many other illnesses. That's not to say we shouldn't take precautions. As Jack Cornfield likes to say, remember your Buddha nature and your Social Security number. <laughs> and then empower your internal pharmacy, you know, cell biologist Bruce Lipton says stress is the cause of 95% of all illness and disease, so we can best inoculate ourselves by watering seeds of possibility, not worst-case scenarios. A calm nervous system fosters a strong immune system. I recently heard the expression, proceed as if there, as if there is not a problem, and remember your body is resilient and has self-healing superpowers. And then I end with that video by Karen Drucker, you know, with the singing that song while washing. I mean, she's actually washing her hands and then singing the song about seeing the face of God. So, you know, we can use this time. In fact, I start with the quote by Stuart Wilde, you know, a time of crisis is a time where we can all grow into a bigger person. It's, okay, he says, in a time of crisis, we all have the potential to morph up to a new level and do things we never thought possible. So I like the idea of using this, you know, there's a solution within every challenge, right? So using this, uh, you know, to find the solution and even to maybe create, you know, a better society for all of us. So um, let's use this thing to to improve the world, to improve ourselves. So anyway, that was kind of what my blog post was about. Yeah, and would you say, Pam, having read um, uh, your, uh, well, not all 20 of your other books, but several of your other books, and you have such, you know, you have possibility posses and the amazingly awesome AA 2.0, and your outlook is so positive. Do you attribute that to your working The Course in Miracles for years now, sometimes every day? Well, I would certainly say it's part of it, because, you know, that's, I mean, one of the Course in Miracles, the most uh, shocking statement it might make is the fact that we are entitled to unceasing joy, Mm. you know, 
and that actually following our spiritual practice is synonymous with joy, you know, and that we are meant to be happy. I mean, those are pretty radical things. (laughs) You know, nobody would really believe that, but that's what the Course says. I mean, that's how far it goes. And it says, it says, this is not a difficult Course, even though we all think it is. It's just so different than the way we view the world. So when I say in the subtitle that we're rewiring our thoughts, and then rewiring the world. I mean, it's really that important, but it's such a completely opposite view of the way we see the world. I mean, we see a world of scarcity. We see a world of problems. The Course says that's not necessary. That's not even real. That's just kind of a temporary misidentification that we've thought up, you know, they call it the ego in the course. I mean, there's a lot of different names for the ego as well. But, but anyway, that's what, how the course terms, you know, the ego came up with this other idea, and then we invest all of our energy and time into this other idea, so that's what we create. Because, again, we do have these powerful minds. Our thoughts do create reality. So yes. um, what we do is we quit um, focusing on the problems, and we start focusing on what could be possible. And so we erase the problems by not watering them. You know, we, we, we have a bunch of seeds. We pick which seed to water. Well, we're, we've been watering the problems day for so long that we think it's the actual ultimate reality, when in fact the ultimate reality is this other unceasing joy, um, peace of mind, um, connection, no separation, but, you know, again, we have to rewire our minds to be able to see the truth. Yeah. And that's another you bring up a good point, because when we're talking about just from a, a neuroplasticity perspective, thank goodness we can rewire our brains. But if you've had neurons that are fully myelinated, they've been firing for decades, this can seem like or could feel like an insurmountable task. And I think and and the book, fortunately, you know, your lesson, the Course in uh, Miracles Experiment, your lesson book is very approachable. It's it's digestible. But if someone was to just pick up A Course in Miracles, I think they might, some people, I'm speaking for myself and including myself, that could be a little overwhelming. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about was the, it seems like there's a recurring theme. Um, and I'm curious if I'm articulating this accurately, but that when you apply the lessons, when you just show up and do the lessons, you don't have to get the how of how it's happening. You just have to do them. And, and as you put it in the book, the bigger thing will take it from there. Has that been your experience? Oh, for sure. In fact, it says all you need is a little kernel of willingness, just a tiny little bit. And I mm-hmm. love that because all of my efforts to improve my life and to you know, be happy and all that, they never worked. So it became <laughs> very clear that my notions And again, my notions are part of the culture in which I grew up in, you know, that tell me, you know, find problems and fix them. I mean, you know, so because that's how I'm trying to live my life, I clearly need outside help. But all I need is a tiny, little, itsy bit of willingness. And again, all you have to do, I mean, just the fact that you opened the book in the first place is this is definite confirmation that you have a little bit of willingness. So, and I love it that really it says, too, that the less I do, the better it will be, (laughs) you know, because again, I clearly, when I try to figure it out, I clearly make all kinds of mistakes and 
missteps and maybe they're not even would be mistakes but they're not taking me where I want to go let's just put it that way so um, the more I can surrender and the more I let go and just do the simple steps that it says in the workbook just do what it says you know you don't have to believe it I mean that's the nice thing you don't have to believe it you don't even have to you know like it you just do it you know so how, how easy could that be Exactly. And then I've, I've had clients in the past though, when, when I, I believe it is a benevolent friendly universe and that there is, uh, just the force out there is incredibly on our side and reactive and responsive to us in the most beautiful ways. But for someone out there who's like, well, wait a minute, if I'm giving it up to quote the bigger thing, what is the bigger thing? Who am I asking for help? How can they feel safe in doing so? Especially if they have an idea of a punitive or judgmental God that they've carried forward into adulthood. Right. Well, that's one of the things I've tried to do in this book is to really change that terminology, as we were talking earlier. In fact, even in the introduction, I talk about all the different names that I use throughout this text, throughout my book, um, for for what some people call God. I mean, the mothership, um, the field of infinite potentiality, infinite intelligence. I mean, I kind of go on and on, and I say, it doesn't even matter what you call it. You can make up your own name. What matters is that you call it forth. So it doesn't even matter. But because we do tend to have a lot of baggage about the word God, I mean, there is so much baggage about God that I think it often works better to use other terminology. It's, you know, this is this unknown force. It's this unknown. And, and, and one thing I think that's really good, too, is like people that are doubting. All I say is just give it a try. And that's kind of what E squared was really about. You know, yeah. you don't have to believe it. Just give it a try just for this morning or next morning or for the next hour. Say, you know what? I could use some peace of mind or whatever it is you want, the Holy Spirit or whatever you want to call it. I often call it JC and the Holy S, which is (laughs) kind of a fun thing for me to call it. But um, bigger thing, you can call it bigger thing. I don't know who you are. I don't understand you. I'm not supposed to understand you. But help me with this current situation. You know, whatever it is. So I would encourage everybody that's kind of doubting and what is she talking about, pick something that's in your life that you would like to see differently. I mean, just. Literally, there's got to be something, I mean, it's the coronavirus or your fear or whatever it might be, you know, a relationship, a whatever struggle, something that you would like to be different. It doesn't even have to be a struggle, just something you'd like some help with. And just ask, hey, hey, bigger thing, um, this crazy Pam Grout girl says that you're here to help me. So I prove it to me. Prove it to me. So just ask and then just see what happens. So that way I'm not trying to, you know, you know, pound anything into anybody. I'm just saying, give it a try. It's just real simple. Just give it a try. Yeah. I love it. How you were saying that you're going to be like doing the new PR for God. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) He needs a new PR person. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I'll just read this quote. So I propose a new way of looking at God. Not only have I updated its name, but I tell anybody who will listen that the real God, not the God invented by man, fabricated for the sake of control, is the coolest, most fun, the most direct path to freeing, electrifying joy I've ever found. (laughs) Oh, that made me smile. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Well, So one of the other things that I really liked about this book, um, and of course we're talking about the Course in Miracles experiment that Pam has just released, um, there are, so you've got lessons and then there will be a period of about 10 lessons that are review. And I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about how it's structured um, or how the book is structured and how readers, um, you invite them to work with it. But I loved in the review sections, some of the stories that you shared. 
You've got some doozies, Pam. I don't know. I don't want to put you on the spot um, without giving you notice, but if there are any stories that you would want to share of people either reporting back from having done the Course in Miracles experiment or just people who've been um, writing into you for years now based on your other books. But um, yeah, so there are some great stories in there as you work through the lessons and then do the reviews. Yeah, in the actual original workbook, there is a review every so often. In fact, I think there's a total of seven reviews where you go back and review the other lessons. And so in my version that I did, at least in the first two reviews, I you know picked one of the things and I did have people review it. But I did each time um, tell a miracle story. And that's been one of the most uh, satisfying uh, things for me of my of these books that I've written, these last five books that I've done. Because I do get emails from people all the time that often start with, you are never going to believe this. I mean, these are the <laughs> kind of emails I get. And then they proceed to tell me a story of something wonderful that happened. Well, I'll tell you one just I heard just the other day, actually by someone that was interviewing me <laughs> for, um, for this book. Um, you know, when a book comes out, you do get interviewed some. But anyway, she um, was, had lost a ring that her grandmother had given her, and she loved this ring, and she'd lost it. It had been gone for two years. Mm-hmm. Well, any reasonable person would say, well, two years, it's gone, but she decided she was going to ask, again, I say just ask, you know, for this ring to be returned to her. You know, this is two years later. She was out doing something, I don't know what, maybe buying toilet paper, which is what everybody <laughs> seems to be out doing these days. Anyway, she comes back in, and on her mat, was the ring of her grandmother's. No. I mean, you know, it's like you can't make this stuff up. I mean, and a lot of people, some people don't believe it, but I do think that um, that's one of the problems is not believing this. You know, if we want to stay with what we already see and what we already believe, we can do that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But we can also open to this whole bigger thing that is available. And to me, it's just so much more exciting to live in this world of, you know, infinite possibility and of these kind of things happening. So why would I even want, again, what I know to be true? I want, you know, the bigger, infinite, you know, everything to be true. So that's what I tend to believe. But that was one story that I just heard literally, I mean, yesterday I think it was. Um, I've heard stories. Well, one of the stories that I like a lot that I share in the book, I'll tell this one, is about a woman who was diagnosed as being bipolar. And, of course, like anyone would do when they get a diagnosis. They read everything they can about it. They join support groups. They get books at the library about this new disease they've discovered that they have. She said that after, you know, five years, she had trained herself to be so bipolar. She said she couldn't even leave the house. I mean, literally, Mm -hmm. she trained herself this because she did her due diligence. She learned everything she could about what the world will tell you about being bipolar. She started practicing A Course in Miracles. She started turning it over to God, um, you know, whatever you want to call it. I think in her case she called it God. And she literally no longer has bipolar. I mean, Mm. maybe it's there waiting to crop up if she decided to, you know, focus on that again. But literally she says she's out, she's happy, she's married. I mean, at the point she had trained herself to be so bipolar by focusing on fear and problems, she could not leave the house because that's what all good bipolar people do. So, you know, we have to question what is the world teaching us? What are we learning? What beliefs are we giving power over our life? And are they necessary? 
Yes. And that was the, the giving up of the meaningless thoughts and ideas. And I, I want to, there's one story that I wanted to ask you about, but before that, I'm looking at the time and I want to make sure that people do know that if they'd like to connect with you in person, I have been to Pam's live events and it's always fun. Um, so there are a couple opportunities coming up. If you would like to take advantage of those, um, there is a 222 or 222 benefit concert with Karen Drucker and friends. That's May 3rd in Kansas City. Actually, that uh, has been canceled. Oh, due to oh dear. Point. That particular one has been canceled. The rest of them are still on as far as I know. Okay. Well, good thank news. thank you for it. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yes. And then uh, for those who, of course, I'm in Petaluma, Sacramento, California is nearby. Um, Pam will be at the Amani Center uh, June 5th and 6th for a workshop Q&A and book signing. There's also uh, the Sun Valley Wellness Festival and Conference June 26th through 29th. And finally, uh, I love the title of this, All Heaven Will Break Loose, A Course in Miracles Retreat with Lisa Natoli and Pam Grout. That's at Omega, of course, in Rhinebeck, New York, July 5th through 10th. Um, yeah, so coming back to, oh, and of course, uh, the website, in case you want to find out more about those events, that would be pamgrout.com. Um, the final story that I, I think we maybe we'll have time for this and just a little bit more, but talking about giving up meaningless thoughts and ideas, and I feel like where things are right now in our country with a lot of division and assumptions being made about folks, um, the story of the Indian American journalist Anand, who was having his stove repaired and <laughs> the repairman came in and asked him some questions. Do you mind sharing that story, Pam? You know, I love him so much. He's one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter right now. Oh, but really? anyway, okay, so he's um, he's Indian American. He grew up in Cleveland. Um, you know, with his brown skin, people will often make assumptions. And he, of course, also makes assumptions. So this repairman comes into his house, and like often happens, he the repairman, who's, you know, kind of a, you know, he, a might have had a few... Um, stereotypes about him, like, oh, here's another redneck asking me about my brown skin, you know, where am I from? But he decided to be nice and put down his assumptions, and he says, oh, I'm from Cleveland, but my family's originally from India. So the repairman goes, oh, that's what I thought. My brother married a woman from India, and she has been the light of our life. <laughs> she, has, she has just totally restored and healed our family. And so Anand just made the point that, you know, we make assumptions about each other in this this age of division, and the less we do that, which is what the Course of Miracles says, you know, the more truth can be found. And, you know, as it turns out, all of his assumptions about this guy were completely wrong. <laughs> yes, yes. And he also has a, a beautiful book about a, um, that, that chronicles the story of a neo-Nazi in Texas who very soon after 9-11 killed a um, a person of color. Uh, and so while this neo-Nazi is on death row, uh, what uh, were you? What was the rest of the story, Pam? Yeah, well, I know he didn't we've only actually like end seconds. up shooting. He he didn't kill the guy. He did shoot a Bangladeshi clerk. He went into a quick trip or whatever, and and, and shot him, and then he ended up on death row. But this Bangladeshi, in, in the book, is called True American. This Bangladeshi clerk befriended his family, you know, campaigned for him to get off death row, and came to know this guy who had shot him, and you know, his his mother would have aborted him if she'd have found 50 more dollars to abort him. You know, he had a terrible childhood. He had lived in a lot of pain. And so this guy practiced forgiveness and ended up loving him and ended up being the light in that family's life. So, again, uh, all of our meaningless thoughts and ideas, are, um, are it's time to let go of them. And, again, with the Holy Spirit's help or with the bigger things help. 
Yes. And the, uh, one of the best ways I found to do that now is in Pam's new book, The Course in Miracles Experiment. The website is pamgrout.com. Pam, thanks for coming back to Sunny in Seattle. Yeah, thank you, Sunny. It's great to talk to you. You too. And uh, everyone out there, have a great weekend and we'll see you next week. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.